listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 49, The Incredibles. Meet the Rotoscopers. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. We're your hosts, Morgan Stradling, Chelsea Robson. And Mason Smith. <laughs> Hello. I thought you guys were going to say something. <laughs> Hi. And we have a very, very special guest, one of our amazing, incredible, fantastic writers from the site who specializes in Pixar fare, Pablo Ruiz. Hi, everyone. Hey, Pablo. Hi, Pablo. What up? <laughs> How are you guys? Hey, we're good. Just, uh, you know, ready for another episode. Pretty Living awesome. life. Basically, we're, I'm excited for the best episode of all time based on one of the best Pixar movies of all time. You're here. The Incredibles. Woo! Yay! I don't even know what songs we're going to pick for this because there's so Oh, many you have to do the, cre- the end credits. Oh, yeah. That was my ringtone for a while. Oh, sweet. Yeah, pretty <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay, so first we want to do a little get to know Pablo. He's really, really cool. That's all I got to say. And what I love about all of our writers is that we have a lot of international writers. So um, he represents South America for us, other than Chelsea. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Pablo, just tell us about Wait, yourself. Why, why wouldn't Mason <laughs> represent any of Oh, yeah, Mason too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's Us? just me. <laughs> well, you went to Argentina, so you kind of represent. Okay, fine. I'm... He actually lives there, like, currently. So, <laughs> Are you recording from Bogota? Yes, I am. Oh, cool. How is it down there? Uh, it's perfect. It's sunny, but it's not too hot. I just love it. Are you more of a writer or are you like an animation student, Pablo? Uh, no, I'm just a writer. Okay, cool. I once dreamt of being an animator, but writing is my thing. Writing Excellent. is your thing. You're, you're incredible. So, okay, so Pablo, tell us a little about yourself so the people who are listening can get to know you. Uh, my name is Pablo, obviously. I'm from Colombia. I just turned 21. As you guys mentioned, I, write, I specialize in writing about Pixar for the site. I love Pixar, obviously. Who doesn't? Yeah, I studied for a year to be a screenwriter in Vancouver. And, and now I'm just trying to find, like, to sell scripts. And I'm writing and writing for the site and basically just watching animated movies all the time. I like your um, style. Yep. For example, some people celebrate their 21st birthday by drinking. I just watch Mulan with my best friend because that's that's my style. Awesome. <laughs> you know what? Come come to think of it, I think all all three of us, me, Morgan, and Chelsea, would probably celebrate our 21st birthday the same way. Yeah. I just have yeah. a sneaking suspicion <laughs> yeah, that we wouldn't part. be drinking. <laughs> Well, that's how we all know that we're in a good company is if they'd rather, if the people you're spending your birthday with would rather be watching an animated movie, they're the right people. Exactly. I agree. So do you currently write scripts or Uh, pilots and stuff like that? I'm currently developing a show for kids ages three to six. I won a competition and some money. So I'm using that money to develop a show that I'm hoping to sell. Wow. Yeah. Other than that, I'm going to start going to some film courses next week. So that's exciting, too. That is exciting. Okay, the show you're doing, is it an animated show? Yes, it is. Well, I don't know how many live action shows there are for three to six year olds. Barney. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> Sesame Street. 
Okay, all right. But, uh, okay, cool. So you're going to be, you want to write for animation and, and other things. Yes. But most importantly, my, animation, right? Exactly. My like <laughs> my life goal would be to work at Pixar. If, like, write a, a Pixar movie, that would be just incredible. Mm-hmm. Wait, I have a question about your, your show. Is it going to be in Spanish or English? In Spanish, which is very odd for me because I spent all my education, I wrote in English, and then I came here and I had to write in Spanish. And it was just very weird because it's it's, it's different. Oh, that's cool. Yep, I'm excited. Mason should be a, a voiceover guest. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and Gracias, I mean, Chelsea. And I mean, if I do develop this show and I sell it, that would be so interesting to write for the site because it would be just like inside an animated show for children. It's true. But then you get so busy and famous that you won't write for the site anymore. <laughs> oh, come on. That will never yeah. happen. Then it'll be like a great honor when Pablo comes to grace our presence with his articles every once in a while. Um, okay, so what what are your sort of like your likes and your hobbies? Like other than animated films, what do you like to do? I generally just spend my time watching films and TV shows, reading. I love Harry Potter. I like sports. Just general stuff. Nothing too weird. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> So how did you get into writing? Well, I graduated high school and I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I just spent my time reading about Pixar because that way I could run away from the worries of not knowing what to do with my life. And I don't know, all the books that I read, it just interested me when they talked about screenwriting. So I started to research that. Toy Story 3 is my favorite movie of all time. And I read the script and I thought it was amazing. And and I started reading scripts and I loved it. And I found this program for writing about film and tel- for remo- writing for film and television in Vancouver. And I thought that was just perfect for me. So I went there and it's definitely my thing. I, I just loved it. it. I just fit right in. So why did you choose that school over other schools? Well, a friend of mine uh, recommended me the Vancouver Film School. Uh, and he actually recommended it, the animation program. But as soon as I saw that there was a writing program, I, 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 I knew that was my, what I wanted to do. So I went there and I had the best year of my life, honestly. Oh, when was that? Uh, that was last year. So you, while you were there, you got to go to the Pixar Masterclass, right? Or was that yes, in a different there, place? There, no, that was in Vancouver. As soon as I saw that, I had to buy a ticket and, and it was amazing. So tell, you wrote a, um, a little piece about that. That was probably one of the very first things you wrote on the site. So we'll link to that. But just tell us a little bit about your experience going to the Pixar Masterclass. It was a two-day class. One day was focused on story, which was what interested me most. We learned so much. We saw storyboards. We heard stories. We heard like fun facts about the Pixar process. And it was honestly so much fun and just it was just so engaging and so, so much fun. And then the second day was mostly about animation, which I enjoyed, but a lot of the things were very technical, which I didn't understand. But still, like it's a Pixar masterclass. I, I wouldn't waste that chance. If I remember correctly, this story part was taught by Matthew Lon who is a story artist for Pixar, like she came up with the way that the fish escaped the the fish tank in Finding Nemo and a lot of other cool stuff. Like every time he said something that he had come up with, it was one of my favorite moments in the Pixar movie. So that was that was very interesting. And the animation day was taught by Andrew Gordon, who has also animated for most of the Pixar films. Very cool. Yeah, it was honestly incredible. Cool. Any other questions you guys have? No, very cool. I like it. Well, thanks, Pablo. So we got to know a little bit about you, but of course, it's Rotoscopers tradition to do Catch and Fire. Ah uh, ha ha. So are you ready? I'm sure you know what this is. Oh my. <laughs> 
<laughs> so are you not, ready? Not going to be a surprise since you probably already uh, have been thinking about your answers. Yep. <laughs> How about a quick round of catch and fire? Catch and fire? You mean me? You're the only one with enough courage. All right. Are you ready? I think so. Here we go. First animated movie you remember seeing? The Lion King. Favorite cartoon growing up? Dexter's Laboratory. Favorite animated movie? Toy Story 3. Favorite animator slash artist? Brad Bird. Classic animation or CGI? CGI. Favorite animation studio? Pixar. Disney or Pixar? Pixar. Laika or Ghibli? Ghibli. Disneyland or Disney World? Disney World. Disney princesses or princes? Princesses, of course. <laughs> no one has ever said princesses. <laughs> I know, nobody cares. Maybe someday. <laughs> Heroes or villains? Villains. Stitch or Tinkerbell? Stitch. Mickey, Goofy, or Donald? Goofy. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Favorite animated dog? Dog from Up. Songs or no songs? Songs, of course. Of course, yay. We can be friends, Pablo. Yeah, you can be <laughs> friends with Chelsea now. Ah, <laughs> uh, nice. <laughs> Favorite obscure animated character? Oh, that's a good one. Um, oh, I don't know. <laughs> this is the big time. Let's see, quickly, quickly. Can it be like the seagulls from Finding Nemo? That sounds obscure to me. <laughs> All right, and here's here's the clincher. We've got Hunchback 2, Return of Jafar, or Cinderella 2. Do I have to choose one? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You have to watch one of these movies after we, we do this podcast. <laughs> oh, I, I, I can't. I have a previous appointment. I have to go. <laughs> There we there we go. There we go. <laughs> 52 out of 52. Well done. Yay, Pablo, you survived. Catch and fire. <laughs> <laughs> Whew, oh, that was stressful. Hey, so a lot of people get scorched coming out of Catch and Fire. I can see why. <laughs> got a game you know how i love games i'm gonna take the opportunity because we have uh, two guys and two girls on the podcast therefore i'm declaring ding 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 boys versus girls competition Okay, so we're on the subject of Los Increíbles, The Incredibles. We just thought of an awesome game, <laughs> and the rules are very simple and very clear. So what we're going to do is for our like, nerdy couch discussion, everyone talks about if they could be a superhero, what would their superpowers be? For example, you know, I would think about what superpowers I wanted, but I, I wouldn't know what to name myself, and so we're going to help each other out. Morgan and Chelsea, you girls will say what superpowers you would want, and we guys will give you super heroine names. But yeah, so do we all understand the rules of the game? Yes, sir. Yeah. I hate to be the rule meister, but that's how it's going to be. Okay, so who wants to go first? Do you want us guys to say what our superpowers are? or I, I know what my superpower would be. All right, Morgan, think of, a, think of your superpower. I'll take Chelsea. Pablo, you give Morgan her name. Excellent. Okay, Chelsea, what's your superpower? My superpower would be to understand every language. To understand every language. Every language. Hmm. Well... 
your superhero woman name would be Rosita Stone. (laughs) 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 The Thunder Tube. Get it, Ro- Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> okay, you get fine, another fine. one just for that. Okay. Oh, I've I've been thundertubed. You All got right, thundertubed well, twice. I know three times, and you're out. Let's see. I, I yeah. actually did like that. That's nice. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, I thought it was excellent. All right, Morgan, what's yours? Okay, so my powers. Are you guys ready? Yep. You, and you can only have like one or two powers, and they it's, have to be related. It's only you can't, one. You can't have all the powers. Well, my powers are referred to as the powers of womanly persuasion. Oh. <laughs> Interesting. Oh boy. <laughs> this is difficult. Oh, I don't know. Help me out, guys. Uh, well, I am married, so I happen to know about womanly persuasion. Hmm. There, are <laughs> ma- there are many there are many forms of it. Have you stumped, huh? Yep. <laughs> well, okay. I've got a couple, but they're not very nice. Uh, not podcast appropriate. <laughs> oh no, they're appropriate. Powers of womanly persuasion. Let's see. Uh, uh, okay, here's how the scene would go. Gee, Willikers, Batman, what are we gonna do now? I'm not quite sure, Robin. We men are helpless against the old nag. Pam, pam, pam. <laughs> I'll take what I can get. <laughs> the <Yep>. old nag. <laughs> Oh, peace out. <laughs> I I would have called you Jessica Rabbit, just so Jessica you know. Rabbit is not a super. She's not hey. a super, She's... and it's not like a, a punny name. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay. Oh, quite the challenge, Morgan. Yeah, see, so yeah, I stumped you guys. Okay. Epic. Girl's turn. Mm, girl's Boys, turn. Are you Pablo, ready? Okay, Pablo, what's your superpower? I would love to bend the way the Avatar does in Avatar, the last airbender, or Korra. Like, bend all the elements. Hmm. Ah, so power to manipulate the elements. Exactly. Let's see. Captain Planet. Just kidding. <laughs> what? Because all the all the elements combined form him. <laughs> I'm going to call you Captain Elementary. I love like that. Captain Elementary. I like that it's like a subtle Sherlock Holmes reference because I love him too. So that's perfect. <laughs> Chelsea, the thunder tube, the thunder tube. He said he could do it. <laughs> I love it. I can't get enough of it. <clears throat> All right, ladies. Uh, um, hmm. What would be my power? Let's see. Power over Legos. No. Um, let's see. My power would be uh, the ability to turn into a giant colossal beast that can destroy cities. What color would you be? Purple, of course. I would call you Beast Out. Beast Out. Beast Out. <laughs> That's all I can think of. Thunder Tube. Yeah. There we go. Okay, so we've got Beast Out. Uh, we've got Captain Elementary, the old nag, and um, what was Chelsea's again? Rosita Stone. <laughs> Rosita Stone. That's the best that one. That is the best. <laughs> what is our t- okay, what's our team name? Well, I think the we're... total misfits. <laughs> but are we a team because you like to destroy cities, or do we fight against? He you? does it on our behalf. Oh, well, okay, I only destroy. Well, I, I only destroy bad c- uh, cities. I know our or... name. I know our name. What's up? The Roto Supers. The Roto Supers. I'm down. That's our title. <laughs> <laughs> It's time.
time for the main event. This is the movie we've all been waiting for. This is the movie you've all been waiting for because it is one of our most requested movies ever, all the time. This is probably number one or number two on everybody's list. Uh, also probably one or number one or number two on most people's Pixar lists. It is Pixar's The Incredibles, direct by Brad Bird. Woo, yeah. Yeah. Yay. Roto Supers Assembled. Oh, sorry, we've already assembled. Sorry. (laughs) Beast Out is always late. (laughs) See, the Thunder Tube should be the summoning call for the Roto Supers (laughs) to assemble. So the Incredibles, um, this movie, actually something interesting as I was researching it, it was it went under the code name Tights. Which uh, makes sense. Relevant. <laughs> Tights or yeah. spandex, probably either or could have worked. But it, it was originally going to be called The Invincibles, which just doesn't have the same ring to it. Uh, the Incredibles, just ah, just so awesome. So let's talk about it, because there is a lot to talk about. The, I think the first thing we should cover what is uh, the amazing director behind it. We've already done a fil- <coughs> an animated film by him, and that is Brad Bird, the one and only. He brought in as the uh, first outside director in Pixar, me- meaning he didn't. Uh, he broke the tradition of like moving up in the ranks of Pixar. Uh, turns out he was uh, roommates, or I think he was like either classmates or roommates with John Lasseter when they were in CalArts. Yeah, and what's interesting about this is he actually, obviously, we know he's the director of The Iron Giant. He was kind of in a contract with Warner Brothers at the time when he did that, but due to Warner Brothers, as we know, crappy, crappy marketing efforts on um, that movie, they sort of just gave it up. Uh, you know, after a few days of it being released they just didn't put any money into it didn't even try um it really was a sad time for brad bird and he um went and talked to lassiter and they were obviously good college buddies and they talked hey like maybe you should do a movie for us and the incredibles was one of those was the movie i guess that he wanted to do he'd been writing this movie since the early 90s the idea came to him and he sort of sketched the family together and had this idea of this family but um you know it really started to obviously come together after the iron giants particularly because he was having a hard time balancing family life he was thinking of like this trade-off that you have to do it seems that sometimes to get really high in your position you have to forget your family or kind of neglect them um but if you you know so how how do you balance that and so a lot of those themes actually played into the incredibles which we will talk about so yeah it all worked out and he he came to the old studio yeah it's cool and then this you see in the art style and in kind of the direction of the movie uh, that was heavily inspired by those 1960s espionage uh, spy thrillers you know those diabolical megalomaniacs with lasers and robots and it's just really good fun that and it's the first pixar film where all the characters are human i didn't even think about that yeah impressive and what's more impressive is how much success it enjoyed i mean i remember the marketing and the hype for this and uh it was a pretty good pretty successful film any other first thoughts guys well if you if you've read any of my articles you know how much i love brad bird and i just think pixar did great at bringing him in because they needed like someone that brought a new perspective like something fresh and brad bird did just that this movie is so different to what pixar had done before and it's so good and so refreshing so original it's just perfect you know how pixar always uh setting their own challenges and then and then shattering those goals and creating something incredible in each film there were a lot of technical challenges for this film and there were a lot of chances to cut them out or to just 
uh, I think at one point they wanted the film to be live action because they were like, all these effects that you're asking for are, uh, you know, very hard, if not impossible for us to do right now. But uh, Brad Bird and Lasseter, they, they both insisted that they wanted to accomplish in the film. Um, first of all, you had the challenge of all human characters. Uh, you had to deal with a lot of hair and cloth effects, which, you know, if you have experienced an animation, that's a, it's a challenging thing to do. Uh, I mean, just look at Violet's hair. Um, it's the it's probably the most ex- one of the most expressive things about her. Yeah, this was the very first time that anybody had ever animated long hair. Yeah, yeah. And so her hair effects were, for the time frame that they had to do this movie, they were thought to be uh, virtually impossible. And, and I'm like, look at where Pixar is now after Brave and um, even the hair on the human children in Monsters University was just amazing. And then, of course, this film has a lot of water, fire, smoke, explosions, particle effects. And so it really is an explosive film with all the effects and, and all the uh, you know impressive stuff that happens. And so those are just kind of the technical achievements. Since it's so old, it's kind of hard to pick up on that. Yeah, one thing, you know, it's this is nearly 10 years old. Next year will kind of be its 10-year anniversary, which is crazy. Which, But yeah, watching this movie, you can definitely tell that it's from like an older period of animation. Uh, more simple colors and shading. That being said, it's definitely not bad animation at all. You can tell that everything, this was at the time, tip-top, the best studio out there, fantastic stuff. It's just not as high quality quality or refined as it is today that being said who freaking cares because whoa <laughs> like i watch it and i'm just i'm so into the story that i'm not really i, I mean I, it's not even distracting it's just be, me being very nitpicky but yeah awesome, yeah let, well awesome. let's and let's talk about the story oh by the way spoiler alert um, from here on out so uh if you don't want to be spoiled and you haven't seen the incredibles uh please skip to the end of the podcast have a nice day I think this is a great film, and I think this is a great superhero film. Um, if y'all have been listening to me on the podcast, you'll know I am a very harsh critic of superhero movies. And this one's awesome. For one, it's original. Um, you're not rehashing Marvel or DC characters here. Although there was like a little dispute on the name Elastigirl because uh, there was already a DC heroine named Elastigirl. Oops. But she could only make herself large or small you know, <clears throat> Ant-Man much. But they, of course, she's stretchy in this film. Uh, I think the final agreement was that outside of the film, like in marketing, they would refer to her as Mrs. Incredible. Now, it introduces some mature superhero themes because I think being a superhero, you know, I think we'd all agree, it's more than just beating up the bad guy and getting the girl. In the film, it introduces this concept that supers are mistrusted, that they're outcasts in society. Um, kind of reminds me of uh, one of the central themes in Watchmen. I get so frustrated every time time i see this film uh with the whole guy suing him for preventing his suicide and then um uh, the injured people on the monorail that he saved it's so frustrating to watch i guess i'm the most like mr incredible because i would be the guy in the courtroom like yelling out of line and being like i saved your life why are you why are you (laughs) suing me yeah and it's just amazing how quickly you you like mr incredible like they introduce you to him and you immediately like like him so you're frustrated when they things start happening to him like uh, Brad Bird does a great job on the screenplay and as soon as you meet a character you get to know them and and you like them like he's, he's great at that no kidding I mean look how hard he works in that opening scene when he has to like save the cat save the kid <laughs> beat bomb voyage save the guy save the monorail you know yeah and get married but he's still very genuine in that first scene a little bit he gets perturbed you know obviously he has something that he's trying to get to we don't know to it at that point but you know if someone needs help he's gonna help him like that's just in his nature to save 
And that's what makes it so difficult later on um, when yeah. that's that like basic foundation that he's built upon gets taken away from him and he can't express himself. Yeah. W- would y'all call this film like a, is this like the future? Is it the present? Is it like somewhere in the past? It's kind of hard to pinpoint the actual actual time of this film. Yeah, that's, that's something that I was thinking through the whole thing. See, for me, when I watch this film, it's very mid-century modern 1960s. The golden age of comics, um, kind of when these superhero movies and films were starting to kind of, you know, make their way out. Yeah. I just, I feel it's very 60s, especially like looking at the Parr's house, their furniture, like everything about their house and the way it's organized and decorated, especially Edna Mode. Like it's just very mid-century modern to me. That being said, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's set in that time period because it's kind of timeless in a way, which is nice. We do get a clue of uh, when it's set because in the in the infamous No Cape sequence, Edna Mode keeps mentioning the dates where when the superheroes with capes like had tragic accidents. Ah. Uh, but I just love that they're like you can't pinpoint it because like the everything looks 60s, but the technology is like in the future. So I, I just I just love the style of the movie and the art. Yeah, that's one thing that I read is that it was supposed to be the 60s version of the future. So the you know even the soundtrack was supposed to be like in the 60s. What did they think the future was going to sound like or be? And so jazz, you know, very you know. <laughs> <laughs> <jazz>. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So I I love looking at this film because I just love, I love anything mid-century modern. And I know it's so trendy and on point right now, you know, sort of referencing Mad Men and how that's really popular in a lot of these shows in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah, So kind of like the art style that they reference is known as Googie. And it was sort of the space age futurism of the 1950s that were usually seen in like coffee shops or bowling alleys at the time, you know, sort of these sleek lines. Um, Just it's like future, but 60s. (laughs) And yet Googie sounds like that's something a caveman would say Googie. yeah i agree i love the uh i like the art direction for this film it's like something you would see at tomorrowland at disney totally. World, at the parks and so i i like that everything's very smooth everything's very sleek and space age <laughs> i love the in joke about no capes <laughs> and yet yet it's a more modern take on superheroes and I, I like that the film is about families who else has done such a great movie about a family of supers you know yeah that's actually my favorite part about the movie because i mean i love superheroes and i love the superhero aspects of the of this movie but if you take that away it's still a very strong family film and i love that yeah it's a whole family of supers oh this is just too good <laughs> because it's one thing to have a group of superheroes you know we're the avengers we fight some Sometimes, but then we kill the aliens, you know, or like we're the X-Men. We all have personality disorders, but like, <laughs> but like a family of superheroes, like a family unit, you know, it kind of connotates certain relationships and certain expectations. And I think that's what makes this film really unique. If you study Brad Bird, you know, he did this with the Iron Giant. It's, it's kind of the classic Western three act story, setting it up, introducing the conflict, things work for a while, then there's a low point, And then, um, you know, they're, they're big, the character's biggest flaw becomes their greatest strength that happens a lot in western story but what what bradbird did was introduce like this awesome dynamic with the family which raises the stakes for mr incredible which um you know makes you cheer louder and and be more uh involved with the main characters and so i like it because i have this philosophy that you can make something great by using an old for an old and classic formula just introduce something that's innovative that no one's ever
never, no one's really done or thought of before, and it can be great. Kind of all those reasons that we've been talking about are, are why I really enjoy this movie. I had a couple questions as far as when it came down to the family situation. I wanted to know, were Bob and Helen kind of like the mutants of their family? Like, I want to know what the grandparents are like. Meaning, were their parents muggles? Right. And yes, that's exactly <laughs> what, my, what my mind went to. Like, I totally went to Harry Potter. I'm just like, okay, is this like wizarding type? You filthy mudbloods! <laughs> this is well, what I was good, thinking. You know, that's a good question because um, some superheroes are born super. Others are made super by some sort of accident, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Doesn't Edna talk about this? Jack Dad doesn't have any powers. Well, some of them aren't born with them. Some of them are like toxic waste dump, <laughs> radioactive. No, no, all she says is, well, he'll look fabulous anyway. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he'll look fabulous anyway. Well, who, who talks Edna about, is just great. Who talks about the how people can become super? I don't know. There's some joke in some movie about. But, yeah. So, we don't know. Maybe Bob Parr uh, gained his strength by accident? Or maybe Helen uh, comes from a family of supers? I don't know. We'll never know until he makes a sequel. That's what I was going to say. Sounds like perfect cannon fodder for a sequel. Wink. I'd, I'd go for that. But how yeah, does, how excellent does, I, question, I could, I could see the trailer for now. Like, how does one become super? How did Mr. Trevor get his powers? <laughs> Awesome. Maybe we can all write articles where we can pitch our ideas like for the incredible sequel. Help Brad Bird out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he needs our help. That would be really. awesome. Yeah, and th- and then uh, there were some similarities to Fantastic Four in there with the whole family thing. Yeah, definitely. I read somewhere that this is actually the perfect Fantastic Four story that the writers of Fantastic Four were impressed by Brad Bird because he managed to do what they've been trying to do for 50 years on his first try. <laughs> guy's he's, awesome. He's honestly like uh, there are a lot of articles on the internet uh there's a fantastic four reboot coming in 2015 and they they all say that they should be inspired by the incredibles not the comics another reboot huh hmm. well uh let's see may the odds be ever in their favor okay so we've established that the incredibles is an awesome movie and now let's uh, let's talk about our favorite parts um by the way i think i uh i took the liberties of doing a twitter question i asked our fans uh what their favorite scene was the Incredibles movie. And so uh, towards the end, we'll reveal some of our epic uh, Twitter fans and social media fans as answers to that question. Let's start at the beginning. I think the interviews at the beginning is a very unique and very great setup uh, to the movie because you're introducing the main characters and it gives us hints about their personalities. You can see that they're not like perfect. You know, they're they're still human. They're supers, but they're still human. And, um, you know, their goals, their aspirations... By the way, uh, sidetrack here. Did, does anyone remember the teaser trailer for it? Wasn't it these? Um, it was these. And then there was a, um, all it was was a scene of Bob Parr um, before he lost all the weight in, in the middle of the film, trying to put on his super suit. <laughs> but at the same time, Helen oh, is, yeah. call, is calling him for dinner, you know? And in the middle of it, he's like, maybe trust a salad. Nice. I do remember end, that. Uh, and th- at the end, he gets the belt on and then it, his uh, belly is so large that it pops the belt buckle out and it ricochets around the room and it shoots the light out. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, actually that's what that's what got me hooked on the film. And then I think I remember the interviews uh, were part of it because it's cool. You, you get to meet Frozone. You get to meet Elastigirl. You know, pre-marriage. You know, mm-hmm. 
Like, everything about this scene, like, each character is perfect. You get the feisty, kind of feminist Elastigirl, you know, the semi-uncomfortable. You show that he's not very confident, but he's still very proud of who he is, Mr. Incredible. And then Frozone is just cool. It's like, girl, I don't want to know about your mild-mannered alter ego. If you're going to be a super mega ultra lightning babe, that's all right with me. <laughs> yeah. Come on, guys. Leave the crime fighting to the men? I don't think so. I don't think so. I say that all the time. <laughs> like, is, this, is this thing even on? I mean, I'm, I feel like the maid. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I just got this clean. Do I have to come and clean it again? And he, like, and he like doesn't know how the camera and the lights work. <laughs> it's really funny. It sets the tone. This is going to be funny, and it's going to be a superhero movie, and you're going to like it. Yeah, and then we go right to Machine Gun Fire. <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing we see after the logo and, and the interviews. And it's just so different from what we've seen before with Pixar. I just love that it sets like it, it tells you like this is not your typical Disney Pixar movie this is going to be different and amazing these were the Pixar films that really took me on an emotional roller coaster Finding Nemo was is probably the, the greatest example of it but um, yeah they really uh, they really pull at you in this film seriously I mean there's guns and stuff you know one thing I noticed is that in the opening scene the radio refers to a police chase on San Pablo Avenue but there is no San Pablo Avenue anywhere on the auto drive navigation map I will have oh. to and so this was not the last time that Brad Bird gave our famous Pablo a shout out. You're right. How do you feel? How do you feel about that? That's awesome. Yeah, some people think my love for Brad Bird is one-sided, but this clearly shows that he loves me too. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. So you actually had a little interaction with Brad Bird on your birthday. Tell us a little about it. I did. It was so exciting. So my birthday was Saturday and my good friend and fellow animation fan, uh, William Jardine, uh, tweeted at, at Brad Bird asking him to wish me happy birthday. And then a couple of hours later, he actually did. And it was amazing. I just freaked out. Uh, I was I would no, I, I actually freaked out. Like I was with my best friend. She didn't know what was happening. She was worried. She was she kept asking me if I was alright, if something was wrong. I was just so excited because I worship Brad Bird and he like it he just wrote like I wish you well, but it was so exciting for me and I, I haven't recuperated. <laughs> See, I thought that was really funny because William said, hey, could you give him a shout out? And you wrote, oh, my gosh, if he, you know, wrote me, I would die. And then his response was, I wish you well. <laughs> oh, like, awesome. Please don't die. But if you do, I wish you well. <laughs> At least that's how I interpreted it. And I was like, oh, that's funny and awesome. And it means two different things at the same time. Both are very, yeah. Yeah, that's Red Bird. He just, everything he writes is just genius. <laughs> well, what speaking of, he wrote this. This is actually one of the only Pixar movies that doesn't have sort of a team of directors. He's the sole director. And on top of that, he is the only screenwriter. Yeah, and that's, that's very rare for Pixar. Pixar usually have, have lots of screenwriters for their movies. Yeah, so, I mean, it really shows wow. that he was an outsider. He This idea and the whole concept is all Brad Bird. Like, obviously, yeah. there was a whole team that helped him. But for the most part, this is him. This is his brainchild. This is his baby. And it's no wonder, you know, the sequel hasn't just appeared because it means a lot to him yeah now uh in the in the first couple of scenes we're introduced uh to who will become the the villain uh you're you're the kid from the fan club uh brody buddy buddy <laughs> i love it oh he's funny he's like i'm incredibly like 
Ah, it just bothers me because I'm sorry, you don't take it upon yourself to become someone's sidekick and then just appear during, you know, when they're about to save the world. It's just like everything about this kid just drives me insane. Like I understand. But you got to hand it to him. He all, he invented a jetpacks for his shoes <laughs> at a very young age. It's so true. the kid is very gifted. He's like he's like a twisted version of uh, Lewis Robinson from Meet the Robinson. You know, and, and this is kind of funny, like talking about Meet the Robinsons, this point kind of shows where someone goes off the deep end right like oh. if he would have been nice to him where's this alter universe where he actually helps save the supers he's really instrumental in creating a lot of good i kind of imagine like in meet the robinsons like what if goob had caught that ball yeah and uh, how how life could have changed sort of this like butterfly effect that everything affects everything else oh, go ahead. another great thing about this is that mr incredible causes uh his villain to like be created so Isn't it's that cool? I love it when that happens in hero villain stories. Tell us more. Well, um, you know, one of the Joker's favorite famous lines in the comics is that Batman made him, you know, because Batman is who he is. And by being a masked costume vigilante, he encouraged and invited the bad guys to do the same thing and create their own personas and let it and let it consume them. And so that's an excellent point. Um, he did go the goob route, though. He just didn't let it go. <laughs> <laughs> As I will discuss, uh, Syndrome is my favorite character in this film. Um, and, and so this spirals into this whole thing. They get relocated. You know, they're kind of anonymous. They live among us. You know, ordinary citizens. But that's not the end of the pro- end of their problems, you know? Well, this part is so sad because they really are genuine in, you know, their motives. Like, none of these villains. I mean, obviously, we don't really get to see many of the villains. But the superheroes are all there for the right reasons. And it gets just taken away from them because, you know, they were deemed a nuisance on society. And they... I don't know. It makes it makes me kind of choke up a little bit. They're not the hero Gotham needs right now. <laughs> I have a conundrum that happens right at this point in the movie, though. Mm. Um, what? Okay, you can't just get rid of all of the supers and expect that the all the bad guys will just go away. I mean, what happened to all the bad guys? Did they catch them all? And if they did, then why did we need the supers in the first place? Yeah, it kind of seems like, like a bad idea I'm to just... outlaw the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It se- you know, it seems like I, <laughs> it seems like a bad idea to outlaw the things that will defend us against bad guys. Hmm. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's that seems like a great point, Chelsea. Uh, superheroes are definitely needed in today's society. Um, now. Uh, and so they're relocated, and then I love how, um, once again, excellent writing. Bob Parr now works at uh, InsuraCare, you know, which, as you see in the film, takes from people, not, and it doesn't really save them, you know. I love the fact that his cubicle is the only cubicle with a giant pole. Ugh. It's all the, the weight-bearing structure, whatever, is in his cubicle. And everybody else is totally free, but he's like all cramped in this corner and he's like ginormous anyway. And everything's wow. gray. It's just so boring looking. It's <laughs> Like, how bad can you get? Well, yeah, you realize, oh, this is his life now. This sucks. This is, you know, middle America. He has a, a boring job. He's not going to climb, you know, the, the corporate ladder anytime soon. He's just in the middle of Cubicleville. And, you know, he <laughs> and has, his, his boss, <laughs> Mr. Huff. Oh, my gosh. Whenever that guy talks, all I can think of is, 
before your kid ends up in the electric chair. <laughs> <laughs> like, I expect him to say that, like, when he's chastising Bob. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I know what you're thinking. Principal Huff, how can I not waste my summer vacation? <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it's like, what a dismal place. You know, the worst part of it is, it's, gosh, it's such a painful scene to watch when he's getting verbally pun- punished by his boss. And then he looks over in the alley and he sees the guy who's getting mugged. Aww. And yeah, then that, he is that. totally denied the the chance to save to save them or help. And then the, the little sting, he's like, good thing, too. You were this close to to losing her. And then, <laughs> and then Bob just, like, loses it. Yeah, that's definitely one of my favorite scenes because, I mean, Mr. Incredible is one of the strongest people in the world. And he's just <laughs> so powerless in this scene against this tiny little guy. <laughs> Until... <laughs> He throws her against like 12, it's like six rooms, right? Six yeah, candles. it's so funny. Well, this whole, there's there's multiple times during this scene where, or during, you know, this office scene where we realize, again, his powers have been taken away from him. He can't help anyone. He's with a lady and he's, his foundation, like we said, is he wants to help. He wants to save. So he knows he's not supposed to, but he gives her the back end way so she can get her money for her insurance claim. And then, you know, when he's in the office being chastised, again, Again, another opportunity to save somebody appears and he can't do anything about it. And it's just sort of building up and we see how miserable he's become because that like basic essence that is him is constantly being denied. Yeah. And there's a lot of factors like this that contribute to Bob's like his little Aladdin conflict where he has to like lie to do something that will make his life work. You know, you know, the whole is this rubble? (laughs) 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 The whole whole vigilante thing, you know, and there's that whole conflict. Conflict. Like, why can't Dash be a super? You know, why do we have to suppress our kids' powers? You know, why why can't I go out and fight crime? You know, even if it's just secret, it's not hurting anyone, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. all, all, these li- mm-hmm. all these little things just make you like Mr. Incredible. Like, you see him trying to save people and being powerless. So you like him because then he starts lying to his family. Uh, but you still like him. Yeah, and it's interesting to compare him to Helen. Um, because Helen sort of like accepted her fate in life, not like accepted and, and given up and died, but she's just kind of knows where her place is and she's done the best to adjust. She has a family now. She knows what's important for them. And she realizes, okay, we got to fit in. Like, this is what we do and this is who we are and we got to make the best of it. And it's not, I don't see that any way that she's like giving into the man or whatever, but she's just being a realist and she's actually been able to cope with this a lot better than Mr. Incredible. She's the only one who's accepted her role because Dash wants to be a superhero like his dad and Violet just wants to be normal and Helen is just okay with where she is like she loves her family and she's happy with that what was interesting to me the roles have totally switched because in the beginning Helen was like what leave all the superhero fighting stuff to the men yeah right and then Mr. Incredible is like well you know I'd like to settle down have a little family da 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 now they like they totally swap in the like real world it's obvious mr incredible loves his family but he he he, like his big dream is to find a way to have both 
Well, and good thing because they totally lucked out with them being relocated to the same city as Lucius. Oh, I know. <laughs> you know, so they're able to kind of do their quote-unquote bowling night together and, and relive the glory days. Which yeah. Is, you know, and I, I'm glad. Like, I couldn't imagine, you know, this. it's basically like a witness protection program, but it's for supers. And just being all your friends, like, this had to be a really close community. And then everyone is probably separated and scattered and, as we learn later, killed. Um, it's good to have a friend for Mr. Incredible because that's really what he needs um huge huge deal because the uh the kids are super are supers also you know i like how their superpowers reflect kind of their their archetypes in the family violet is very shy you know so she's invisible you know and she puts up walls you know her force field yeah and helen is helen is just flexible so that's why she adapts so well to the new situation Mm -hmm. There you go. There you go. Hey, hey. And he's the strength of the family holding it all together. And then you yeah, get. But he feels. It. But he feels. Yeah. And the, but it, but uh, Mr. Parr feels like his strength is being wasted. And that's why he's kind of wasting away, you know, physically. You know, he's got a lot of bulk that he's not using. And so he's just this big fat guy, you know, kind of. <laughs> And then Jack-Jack, of course. Well, Dash, and Dash is just a crazy ADHD kid, so he runs around all over. (laughs) (laughs) He put a tack on my chair, I swear. (laughs) uh, He's a disturbance to the class, and he openly mocks me, (laughs) he says. So I love, um, you know, all you-know-what breaks loose, and I guess it's not really. I'm intervening! (laughs) (laughs) He loses loses his job, and it's like, oh, no. I mean, you feel for it, because when that um, agent is coming, you see that, okay, this happens a lot. This is, like, every few months they have to get relocated because he can't handle his situation, and and they basically give up on him. They're like, you're on your own. Like, good luck. And then you can imagine, just as he's driving home, having to explain this conversation to his wife, this is not a good situation, but he goes into his office first and there's this like this wall this memory wall of the glory days and i I love it how just uh you know obviously if you were to do something great and grand like i don't think it's uncommon that you would frame those news stories or different things but um it very much reminded me of like those people who were really good at sports in high school or college and then they didn't really do anything after they didn't make the big leagues and uh so they're just always dwelling on the past kind of like uncle rico (laughs) from uh napoleon dynamite (laughs) but that's definitely what he is he's just always he's always in the past and that's something that's not very healthy to do as a person like yes they existed it's great but you have to live in the now and like make the best of like your abilities now (laughs) uncle rico man if nick fury would have put me in against galactus we would Uh... state (laughs) how much much you want to make it bet i could throw this train over the mountains well then um he gets this mysterious message and it's like oh hey it's an ipad <laughs> right <laughs> Ooh, space age. like no joke 10 years ago that looked so cool it was like slit thin and really sleek and now i'm just like it's an ipad with a little antenna what yeah well <laughs> maybe that's where steve jobs got the idea ah we owe pixar everything no we owe brad bird everything <laughs> yeah you know, and during that scene, there's all this, there's so much tension because he's getting this secret, like, super secret message that's going to self-destruct, you know, after he listens to it. And he's looking for the pen, and he's just looking everywhere, and the pen doesn't write, and we've all been in this situation where you're trying to write a note down, and you're just searching and searching, you can't find it, and then, obviously, Helen, she's like, dinner! And, uh, yeah, it's it's perfect. And eventually, you get the message gets across, and then it uh, self-destructs, but pretty funny. 
Yeah, and that that those moments like where he's looking for the pen are they're my favorite thing about the movie because he like these huge things are happening like at the end of the movie when the when the giant robot is attacking and Frozen is just like where's my super suit and he has this discussion <laughs> with his wife and it's just so great to to put these everyday moments that we can all relate to in the middle of these huge situations that are just crazy. We no. have been planning this for two months. Woman <laughs> <Right. laughs> is in danger. <laughs> woman, where is my super suit? <laughs> okay, I, I, I know we're skipping ahead, but I love the blocking in that scene because he's like got his aftershave on. He's walking back into the bedroom. Giant robot walks past his window, and he just kind of swings his leg around and just kind of does a one eighty. Like, okay, I need to get my super suit on right now. <laughs> I really like it. Um, and so, yeah. And so we're introduced to Mirage, who's like the international woman of mystery. I mean, what is she? Latino, Asian, African-American? I don't I don't get her. But um, she's vaguely ethnic. She's vaguely ethnic. <laughs> like, um, oh, who, who's the character on 30 Rock? They can't tell what race she is. I'm telling you, you need to watch that show, Morgan. Anyway, um, <laughs> what what? OK, why is she running around with syndrome and what exactly are her powers anyway? She has a super name. You know, I don't think her parents, unless they were total hippies, named her Mirage. Um, so what what does she what what does she do? Well, okay, according to villain Disney villain Wikia, uh, ah. she has no explicit powers. You know, but that being said, I still think that she has some sort of powers that we just didn't get a chance to see them. Okay, so we basically all we have to go off is her name. So to me, Mirage, it's something that, you know, it's not what it seems. It kind of is deceptive in a way. And that's kind of what she does. Her whole purpose is she's very deceptive to Mr. Incredible. She sort of gives him what he wants. And then in reality, that's not what she, who she is at all. And she's sparkly. She is. Does she sparkle? Ah, she's a vampire. <laughs> oh, cool. Hence the pale skin. Well, maybe, no, she doesn't have pale skin. She's got a uh, dark skin. Um, let's see. And she's got she's got storm hair. You know, <laughs> she's got the silver hair. But um, yeah, it, it's weird. Okay, so I get the whole mirage, like not what she seems thing. Uh, I'm still uh, I'm snagged on the powers thing. I guess she has like super secretary powers. Well, and well, that's the thing. Like, if she did have powers, don't you think Syndrome would kill her? So that's isn't that more evidence that she doesn't have powers? Yeah. That's oh, yeah, that's purpose. right. Like, like, like breaking a toothpick. Maybe yeah, she I... really does have the powers of womanly persuasion. No, that's well, me. Uh, <laughs> well, she really. Well, yeah. Don't. Hey, the old nag. Um, she. <laughs> she. But well, she is very persuasive, but she's so subtle about it. She's like a little snake. No, um, she, she's definitely a spy. I think. Well, everything, everything from being like, "Oh, help! It's it's a you know it's a giant robot." Typical, you know, thing about weird thing about robots becoming self aware over time. Why, why do we do that? <laughs> well, I I love that she's yeah she's very uh, subtly persuasive to Mister Incredible, and she'll just say things like, "Well, you are Mister Incredible." I know. Okay, so it has to fight Omnibot. I just don't like the idea that, like, why do robots have to learn? This is just kind of a side thing. No, totally. I mean, you know, as... the movies always start with, you know, here at Science Corp, we have developed robots that think for themselves. 15 seconds later, the next scene, you've got, Skynet has become un- un- self-aware. We must, they have defeated us all the cyborgs, you know, and pretty <laughs> soon it's Judgment Day, you know? Yeah, having yeah, yeah, hu- having robots that eventually are going to learn and learn and surpass your own thinking is never a good idea, but all these supervillains and all these scientists, they keep doing it. 
it makes me think of uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, well, if robots, if droids could think, there wouldn't be any of us left now, would there? Or something like that. But yeah, down with learning robots. We live in a world where everyone knows about Terminator. I don't know why scientists are developing robots. Like, <laughs> and they are. Yeah, I don't I... understand. Well, cause it's because none of us want to do anything. We want all the robots to do everything for us. True, like, but people should learn from movies. Like, I read about that in Australia. <laughs> uh, uh, like we don't learn this, from history. We learn yeah. from movies. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, like there, movies reflect this, uh, history. There's this Australian billionaire that wants, like, to clone dinosaurs. And I'm like, didn't you see Jurassic Park? Okay. Like, <laughs> not a good idea. <laughs> That does not go well. Okay. I wonder what his first, what the first dinosaur he wants to clone is. Oh, uh, the Velociraptor. That sounds like a good place to start. Yep. <laughs> so, a safe choice. So they go to this island, and it's called Nomad, Nomadism Island. And it, this is actually, I didn't know this, but this is a reference to a very well-known book known as No Man is an Island. So yeah. get it? Nomadism Island? Yeah. yeah so pretty funny. Yeah, it, it reflects that whole, uh, the whole thing that Bob's going it alone. You know, mm-hmm. kind, kind of selfishly, he's just trying to relive the glory days. But he is getting compensated for this whole thing. Well, yeah, he just found a new job. What's so bad about it? Yeah, he's like a <laughs> private. He's like a private mercenary slash beta tester for the Omnitroid. <laughs> he doesn't doesn't know it yet. I love what he's running, and you know, he's on his first mission, and it's just Fat Mister Incredible in his suit, and there's all these rolls just rolling over, and it's uh, it's it's a very uh, awesome moment. His 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 back gives out during the fire. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Oh, I love it. So um, definitely during this scene and the montage that follows, which I love this scene. There's no words. It's just actions and visuals. And it passes a lot of time, which is necessary. But this is where we begin to see, you know, Mr. Incredible reaching his potential. Everything in his life gets better because he's doing what he loves. You know, his family life, his marriage, his physical appearance, like his general attitude. Like he's just happier and has kind of a glow about him. Everything. Like really, like I never really thought about this theme as I was watching this movie before, but like to me me like the theme that's standing out is not do what you love but like do what your core is yeah yeah and and it i think the uh the musical theme on the soundtrack is called life's life's incredible again and it's cool because um i'm sure a lot of people can relate to how miss how bob is feeling because he thought he was done for he thought he was finished and now he gets this chance to be uh super again he gets to be young and fit and uh you know and exciting and 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 valuable again it's just kind of one of those Western story things where it's like, okay, everything's going great until until the big deal when he meets the, uh, it's bigger, it's better, <laughs> too much for Mr. Incredible to handle. Like, everything just changes, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he meets uh, my favorite character, freaking Syndrome, uh, used to be Incrediboy, that ship has sailed. <laughs> or it used to be Buddy, you know? Okay, this guy's amazing. Uh, listed as uh, number 64 on the top 10, 100 villains list on uh, Wizard Magazine. Not too shabby. Like, to me, Syndrome has it all. Walking risk communicator. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but <laughs> hello nineties <laughs> and best of all high pressure space wings um i love when a movie can pull off a villain who is sinister you know insane because this guy's got a lot of issues and yet he's so hilarious at the hilarious at the same time like he's very entertaining mm-hmm. this is what happens when dorky kids get bullied no kidding have you ever played earthbound but anyway um his whole evil plot we find out revolves around this one time he got one time too many he got turned away by mr incredible you know fly home buddy i work alone 
you know, and it, it, this whole thing is about getting revenge on his childhood hero, you know, an icon, and uh, while at the same time lowering the value of supers as a whole, you know, because he's jealous. He's a jealous, troubled fanboy uh, with a lot of money and a lot of resources, mm-hmm. you know. Hey. But I just yeah. love him. His lines are amazing. His goofiness, but at the same time, his his sinisterness. Like he's right up there with the Joker as far as like totally diabolical and really yeah, thinking exactly. about how can I ruin this guy. Okay, so one thing I love about Syndrome is how over-the-top he is. He's just, like, very theatrical and histrionic in what he does. And, you know, obviously he gets on his monologue. You caught me monologuing again, you sly dog. (laughs) (laughs) He's just doing his own commentary, which is... I don't imagine real villains do in real life where they have to, like, have this commentary going, but... That's what I love is that Brad Bird and, you know, Pixar, they knew how to play with your, your classic stereotypes of villains. I know. And then he's like looking at the destru- destruction from the robot. He's like, come on, you got to admit this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love their de- his design because he's short and he's a he's kind of squatty. Um, have you noticed how he walks? He kind of walks funny, mm-hmm. like he's on high heels. I think the story behind that is that uh, one of the one of the people in the developer, d- the dev crew for Incredibles, like kind of walked funny. And so he walked he walked in a way to where it was noticeable that he was trying to cover up the way he walked. And so, oh. and so that, yeah, I know. Kind of a poor guy, but they kind of took that and uh, translated it into syndrome. You know, the way he walks is kind of funny to cover up how awkward he is. You know, he kind of has this kind of way of walking. And so it's kind of like this weird little, weird little complex thing that he does, like a tick, you know? Mm-hmm. From the commentary, this is one of my favorite commentaries to listen to, by the way. Like if anyone has the Incredibles DVD, definitely should listen to it because it's Brad Bird. Are you kidding me? Um, but it's funny because originally when they were developing syndrome some of the like visual development concept uh character artists they they made it so he looks like brad and they just kind of you know went with it and no one said anything and that design ultimately was what got picked and by the time like brad actually realized what was going on it was like too far in production they couldn't do anything about it (laughs) like really funny I'm going to have to say, out of all of the characters in here, my favorite character is definitely Edna E. Mode, which was actually played by the one and only Brad Bird. <laughs> yeah, um, there's, a, there's a story about how they tried to find uh, voice actors to do this character, but I guess uh, Brad Bird was the only one who could pull off the German-Japanese accent. <laughs> but yeah, she cracks me up. Basically, everything she says or does is golden. Like, everything. Whether it's just a look, a line... Uh, you know, a reaction. It's hilarious. Yeah. My favorite quote from her is like, this is a hobo suit, darling. <laughs> it's so funny. And I love when, when uh, Helen is crying and she just puts the tissues on the table and Edna pushes them towards a little hole on the table and it's like, it's like this tiny incinerator. <laughs> like, I love that. <laughs> well, it is a scene she's so disappointed because she, she's been working with these superheroes who used to be like the biggest and best. And, you know, obviously, Elastigirl was one of those and she really looked up to her and then she sees her in this state and she's she's not very she's not impressed with where Helen has come and so that's where she's snap out of it my gosh woman pull yourself together (laughs) (laughs) the capes monologue is one of the funniest parts in the film IMO (laughs) he was like this guy nice guy good with kids (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah I remember him and she's like that you know November 1975 Whatever. Um, and it, it's also an example of how The Incredibles is different because, like, she, she's showing how the, all these superheroes died. And it's so funny and it's so dark. 
but I love it. Yeah, a girl gets like sucked into like the <laughs> yeah. airplane turbine. That is horrible and gruesome, but you know they sucked into a vortex. <laughs> so here's a funny story. I was cleaning out my car one day, and I have like I went through a phase where like I would always wear scarves. Like I just had a scarf on for every outfit that I had, and I was cleaning out my car. I got the vacuuming thing going, and all of a sudden my scarf gets like sucked into <laughs> it, and I'm like, oh, oh, dang it, no capes. <laughs> <laughs> no scars. Oh. Anyway, problems in fashion. So right before this, this is where Helen is sort of thinking that Bob is having an affair. And it's so sad. Like, this is like an adult theme, I guess, oh, yeah. that I, I don't think you would see in other animated movies. Yeah, very, And very. It's, it's sort of insinuated at, it's not explicitly stated, um, but just the way, her, like, adult audiences and, and teenagers, like, her reactions and the way that she, her reactions to certain things, like the hair on the suit and the picking up on the phone call and catching the tail end of it and it's a woman on the phone. Um, it's just, I love it because it adds, like, a whole nother level of uh, drama and like the stakes are even higher for her because she doesn't know what she's going to find when eventually she goes out there. Yeah, this part of the this part of the movie like it sets up some really like heavy emotional scenes. One, it sets up like the big test of the family's strength because, you know, Dash and Violet hop on board the plane, you know. New outfits? And then... Are those for us? Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm Dash, the dashing. <laughs> the Dash likes. The Dash <laughs> likes. Oh, that's right. That's how it is. Thank you. Um, so she gets the plane from like the guy who is going to be a more minor character, but they didn't. He just, he just didn't really do anything. And then he just had to ruin the fun. I mean, Mister Incredible calling for help. Lame, 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 lame. <laughs> who did you contact? Me, me, and my little sister always quote that. Lame, 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 lame. <laughs> Speaking of um, quotes that you always quote, mine's always like, would you care for more mimosa? <laughs> Every morning when I'm drinking orange juice, I'm always like, would you care for more mimosa? I, I, mix, I mix orange juice with Perrier and I call it a mimosa. So yeah, <laughs> I feel very Mr. That's, Incredible. <laughs> that's funny. But yeah, like the shiz gets real in this park. He's going to shoot down Helen's plane. Like, like Dash, he sees like the tomahawk missile. He's like, "Mom," <laughs> and uh, and it's like, "Gosh, it's so intense." From like trying to put the force field around the plane to Bob, re- like Mister Incredible, realizing it's it's his wife and kids. Mister Incredible definitely hits his lowest point in that moment. Yeah, and the editing is so good. Like we we just see the missiles closing in, Violet trying, uh, Helen screaming, Mister Incredible trying to reason with Syndrome. It's just amazing. I think it's one of the most stressful scenes Pixar has done. Like it's right up there with the incinerator scene from Toy Story Three. Well, yeah, and that that's another thing that happens here is Brad Brad Bird wanted to show like a real villain because on like your typical Saturday morning cartoon, the villains are sort of like these fluff characters. They don't really do anything that bad other than, you know, kidnap and stuff. But this villain, Syndrome, I mean, he was going to kill kids. He didn't care. And he kills all sorts of people. And it shows that this is a real villain. And as children, you you better be able to handle it as superhero children because they're, they're not going to care. And he doesn't. And that's sort of a more mature theme in an animated film rather than like, you darn kids. <laughs> Would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you meddling kids and that stupid dog. <laughs> 
rare. <laughs> um, and it's uh, it, it's very crazy. You know, this kind of um, heavy, like kind of mature theme of the whole like, hey, we will kill children. But I also like that it's kind of the cool sequence where Violet and Dash get to like test out their potential. Yeah. You really get to see them use their powers in action and they get to also, you know, so it's kind of cool. Well, yeah, it's kind of like the first time that their like powers have been able to be unleashed. I love um, one of my favorite parts of this whole movie is when Dash is running and he sees that he's running towards a lake and he's just like, oh, we'll see how this goes. And then he realizes that he's la- that he's running on water and then he just has this like, he kicks his head back and he just has this like giggly laugh like, ha ha And yeah. I love, love, love that part. Yeah, yeah I really love it. too. Cool. You know, I think like every part that leads up to the final battle is so awesome that I kind of like look over the final battle. Like, you know, you know, they're going to defeat the giant robot because they've like found their strength as a family, you know? I do love the moment when when Bob tells them that they should like stay there and he will fight the robot and he's like I'm not strong enough and it's just another very stressful scene and he finally reveals why he's not strong like he he doesn't think he's strong enough to lose them again and I just yeah, love that, that. Was sweet. it's so touching yeah, it's cool. Yeah, she's really like cool. Helen's just like, what? This is all about strength for you? What's <laughs> up with this? <laughs> like, no. I was like, I was like, oh sweet, there's gonna be a sequel because Syndrome like didn't die at, at the robot fight, and so and he kind of got away. So it's like, okay, so here comes the end of the movie. But no, mega shocker at the end. You know, he grabs Jack Jack, who who apparently doesn't have any powers, and then all of a sudden, okay, am I the only one who thought it was a little weird when he turns into, like, little Hulk ogre demon baby? Yes! <laughs> I'm like, what? What demon is that? child. <laughs> and I love when, when Bob throws Helen, and she grabs Jack-Jack, uh, and she's like, oh, it's okay, and you see the plane crash, like, above, and it's just so funny. Yeah, yeah she's totally. trying to be this tender mom, and there's chaos in the background, the baby's like, what else? It's going to be all right. <laughs> And again, it's such a dark death for a villain. Like, we see him getting, like, sucked into an engine. Yeah. Yeah, Because of the capes. Hey, it's not the classic Disney fall. Yeah, I know, right? So, yeah. um, And then, you know, there's a little short scene where everyone's, you know, Dash, you know, he learns how to... He learns how to balance his powers, you know. I love it. He's like, he's like, slow down, slow down, slow down. No, speed up, speed up. Like, no, 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 make it, make it close. Go for second. My favorite. And the part guy's about... looking over at him. Yeah. And he's like, what are you? What? That guy's the funniest part of the scene. The in credits are great, but um, I'll just say what everyone. Wait, did, did say. you mean okay. that as like a pun on Incredibles? The in credits. Yeah, well, that's the name of the credits theme on the soundtrack. Oh, really? Nice. Yes, ma'am. The incredits. And we were all sitting there in the theaters when we watched it, hoping there were going to be outtakes. Now, there are quote-unquote outtakes on the DVD, but I mean... I understand if you're an animator and this stuff is funny and I've seen it, you know, in my own work, but they were just a bunch of rendering mishaps, you know? Yeah. Well, cause there you aren't know, really outtakes in animated films. You have to like, those are have, thought you out. Make, you have to make them. But I thought that was kind of lame, 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 lame. Um, <laughs> but I would have preferred, you know, the, the real outtake, you know, the quote unquote real character outtakes that they would, that they've, they did for bugs life, toy story two. But, um, I think the tone of the film is, is serious enough to where they, it was okay to where they, well, yeah, and they also, the last movie they did that on was Monsters Incorporated, and they said it, like, by that point, it was starting to feel expected and stale, you know, and I imagine Brad Bird, he's not part of, like, the Pixar way, like, oh, yeah, this is what we always do, you know, we always have the end credits where it's, like, funny bloopers, like, he's, this is his movie, his baby's like, no, we don't need that, you know, just, just the reason.
in that they forgot to put the Pixar Planet truck in that movie. I mean, it just wasn't probably... First off, I don't think it was established as as much as it is today that, like, you have to have this in your movie. But I think also since he was an outsider, that was kind of just, eh, didn't think about it. But yeah, totally. Um, I like the ending. Very good wrap-up for the movie. I honestly love this movie. I've seen it a hundred times. I've read the script uh, another hundred times. Uh, I think it's one of the strongest Pixar scripts. There's so many themes. The characters are so great. Uh, like Pixar just loves to make movies about characters that need to let go of the past and move on. Like it's a recurring theme in, in their movies. Like Finding Nemo has that. Up has that. Toy Story 3 has that. And and even this movie has, like, Edna, one, at one point she says, like, I never look back, darling. It distracts from the now. And that's one of the themes of the movie. And, and like, a great writer like Red Bird will point that, like, will use her, their, his characters to tell us what he wants. And that's a good example. And, of course, well, one of the biggest themes is that Bob wants to work alone. And, like, he's part of a family now, so he needs to work together with them. And I love that as soon as that's resolved, like, as soon as they work together and defeat the robot and syndrome like the movie wraps up and it's done like three minutes afterward it leaves you like wanting more and and i just love how how strong the script is yeah it's so inspiring yeah yeah totally i don't remember if we talked about this before but did we talk about how um one of the themes is like they they talk about the celebration of mediocrity yeah, there was there was kind of a there wasn't a controversy, but that was something the critics were talking about. Well, no, that's just what the in the movie they had a whole bunch of these little comments where it's like, or where Bob starts going to hell, and he's like, "You don't want to even go to you don't want even want to go to uh, Dash's graduation. It's not a graduation. He's going from the third grade to the fourth. <laughs> like, why are they coming up for one more reason to celebrate mediocrity? You know, and yeah. I was like. That's funny because it's so true. But I mean, well, they're but, living in this world where they aren't allowed to be big and bold and awesome. And everyone's a winner. <laughs> Hooray! Everyone's a and, winner. Yeah. Another thing I love is that, for example, there's this point. Uh, Dash says that if everyone's special, nobody's special. And then Syndrome says that uh, when everyone's super, no one will be. So I like that Dash and the villain have like kind of the same thought. But Dash they, is a smart like, kid. Yeah, Syndrome chooses to be evil about it, and that's just is, is frustrated. So I like when the heroes and the villains have similar thoughts, but they act in different ways. Yeah, yeah it'd be interesting very, very to cool. see if Dash wasn't able to kind of express himself, what hap- would happen to him if he would have turned the route that Syndrome did, um, sort of on an opposite level. Like, I have powers, but I'm not allowed to use them, so I'm going to unleash them! Yeah, sounds <laughs> like... I'm going to um... win the Olympics! <laughs> it's like, what else can he do? I know. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh... I'll get you! <laughs> yeah, so we we wrap up and we have kind of a very mature, deep, extremely well written and a long Pixar movie. I think it is 115 minutes. Yeah, it's it's just under two hours, and I'm just gonna say like that's just a long movie. And I feel like there were a lot of really cool stylistic choices that were made and that were like visually it all really worked and it was really cool. But I think that like some of the transitions just kind of went a little long. And I think if they would have just maybe cut like 20 minutes of that out, I think it would have been a lot more fast paced for me. And I think I would have gravitated more to it. The pacing was had a very like James Bond feeling. Mm-hmm. And while I, I have nothing against that, I have fallen asleep in more than one James Bond movies. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that was my only like drawback from this film. 
Yeah, I, I, the pacing is very James, James Bond like. Like it's, uh, it's a spy movie after all. Uh, but I think the the key is that the the stakes are so much higher here, and there's emotional stakes and everything. Whereas James Bond, like he he doesn't have a family that he's risking. You know, he's like basically Superman. Like nothing will happen to him. <laughs> So, so I think that's why James Bond is boring sometimes. While whereas The Incredibles is just it's so well constructed that that I I thought it was very good. Like the pace was very good. And then uh, I love the kicker at the very ending. Yeah, that's my favorite John Ratzenberg cameo, definitely. <laughs> Behold the Underminer! Oh, there is nothing beneath me. <laughs> I hear, so good. I hereby declare war on peace and happiness. <laughs> like, what a cheese ball. I don't know who's more cheesy, him to... or General Grievous. Come on. <laughs> we should do an article best and, like, rank all of his cameo roles. Ooh, yeah, that'd, awesome. that'd be a good one. Yeah. Like, his best role is probably Ham from Toy Story, totally. but that's not a cameo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, rank all his roles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ham is his best. Because he gets a lot of a uh, funny airtime. Cool. Okay, so guys, sequels or no sequels? You know what I'm gonna do is, uh, you know how uh, every time a, an animated movie comes out, someone has to make a a, a, a knockoff version and put it on Netflix or like Redbox. <laughs> yep. Well, I am going to search the internet and find the worst Incredibles fan fiction out there, and I will use that as the basis of my script for a knockoff Incredibles animated movie. I will develop and produce said movie, and, uh, you know, Brad Bird will have no choice but to make a sequel to not, uh, you know, not have the Incredibles be tainted, you know? I like that plan. I'll help you. Don't you? Well, now, you're, you're probably a great screenwriter. I'm not, so if you don't mind, I'll write the crappy knockoff and, and i'll uh, animate oh, okay hey there you go perfect <laughs> yeah <laughs> it will just oh it will make perfect. people cry <laughs> yes we will and, and brad bird will have Tears no choice will fall. <laughs> no choice but to release incredibles 2 it's perfect or the prequel finding jack jack or something i don't know whatever whatever he's planning on naming that can't it. be a prequel uh, oh that's right you're right you're right no what if they lost jack jack what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bob, so, did you lose Jack Jack again? In this movie, they visit their redneck superhero cousins. <laughs> awesome. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what, what, the, what the heck, Helen? You give birth to a child that doesn't even have superpowers? Uh, I guess he'll just be a propane salesman. All right, let's see. Um, Twitter question. Uh, I, I took the liberty of uh, putting a Twitter question out there for our, our fans. Uh, what is their favorite scene of uh, The Incredibles? Uh, so I'll uh, I'll start with with some of some of them. Do it. Um, you know, Jordan M. He replied and says he likes the teaser also, where Bob is trying to put on the costume, calls it classic. Uh, let's see. Jessica Worski says uh, if Jack Jack attack doesn't count, which it does, any scene with Kari. Who's Kari? It's like Kari, but with a K and. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's right. The babysitter. Okay, any scene, yeah, any scene with Kari or uh, or Helen. Helen is my favorite film mom of all time. Wow. Let's see, Ben Arose uh, likes the 100 Mile Dash. So does Milan Harrison. Justin Westmoreland, uh, one of my fellow uh, visitors at a and uh, his favorite uh, scene is the Where's My Super Suit? Our awesome animation ally, William Hardine says he likes the the life's incredible again the montage from uh you know knowing mr incredible's back in the game and then up into where he he confronts syndrome all right so what do we all rate this i don't know you go first chelsea 
Okay. I'm going to give this four stars. Like you guys are probably all going to give it five stars or something. I don't know, but I'm, I'm say four stars. Um, it's honestly, it's not my absolute favorite Pixar, but it's like Toy Story is definitely my favorite, but you know, Incredibles is a good, it's a good one, but I don't really have that same like affinity, I guess, to it as some of you guys, but it's a great movie. <laughs> I don't know. Like, like as we're talking about it, there's just so many things. It, it all works. It's great. It's done good. So that's, that's where I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I'm surprised you didn't downvote it because of lack of songs. Although <laughs> oh, it does. Quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You know, uh, Chelsea, I give it four stars. Also, I think it's uh, four stars is not horrible. I think it's, no, a, it's not. I think it's a great film. Uh, it's just not my all time favorite animated film. Although I think on my like top 100 animated films, films list that they had us do um the incredibles was pretty high up there well anyway. i'm going to give it five stars just because what? yeah i think this is absolutely epic in proportions i think it's one of pixar's best i i want to rank it above some of the toy story movies and uh, but i don't know i have to really like sit and uh, digest it a little bit more uh ratatouille another red bird movie is also one of my very favorite movies of all time so this falls into all out of all movies of all time one of my favorites it's five stars all around like just how deep it is and how real all the characters are and the, the different you know superhero family dynamics i love i think it's expertly crafted i can watch this so many times great replay value five all right let's hear it pablo uh i will definitely give it five stars bling, 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 bling. if it wasn't for toy story 3 this would actually be my favorite pixar film like i simply love it uh i think the script is one of the strongest ones the i love the story the characters it's so funny it works on so many levels like every line of dialogue has different meanings subtext i just love it like uh definitely five stars <laughs> pablo has spoken <laughs> what's what's his superhero name uh, captain elementary oh captain elementary has spoken <laughs> thanks guys this was a great episode Oh, that old grapevine. So they sent us Incredibles mailbag. So I want to read just the three uh, emails that we got about this. Okay, uh, our good buddy Ben Rose uh, says, What up, Rotoscopers? Sending you guys my thoughts on Pixar's The Incredibles. To put it lightly, The Incredibles was my fave animated movie growing up. Right now it's Mulan, but this movie is in the top five. I had the toys, shirts, posters, you name it. I had it. This was so different for Pixar at the time. Uh, pretty violent, dealt with some huge themes and character struggles. This was like Pixar's Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Only this was phenomenal. (laughs) Hey. Great Ouch. animation, great animation, memorable characters, compelling storyline, awesome villain, <laughs> top-notch villain, mate, amazing score, and huge heart. The Incredibles has it all. Woo-hoo. Did we did we talk about the score? It, it's probably my Pixar favorite score. No, we didn't. So let's talk about it by Michael Giacchino. Yeah, this was the very first score that he did, and it's really this is the first score that he did for a Pixar film. It's actually pretty funny because if you look on different sources, originally they had like two or three other guys, and one guy was actually in the process of scoring it and died and oh. i mean yeah like really really crazy stuff that happened and i'm 
not say I'm grateful, but I love Michael Giacchino. I'm, I'm grateful he somehow got this opportunity because he went on and he did um, Ratatouille and Cars 2 and uh, Mission Impossible 4. He's he's one of my favorite composers. I just love everything he comes up with. He, he also did Up and won the Academy oh. Award for Best Original Score. Yes, that's true. Ah. Oh, he's so good. And I think he's coming back for uh, The Good Dinosaur. Oh. Oh, that'd be cool. I, yeah, or Inside Out. One of one of like, oh yeah, he, his work for Pixar is just amazing. Well, we talked kind of how this had like James Bond style uh, themes to it, and just like the way it was edited. But definitely, music had this sort of like spy theme motif going throughout it. But like, yeah, and he comes back to that in Cars too. I think uh, Finn McMissile is the the best track in that soundtrack, and it's also like this spy theme song. Very cool. So our next email is from Milan Harrison. <laughs> Frank Frog in Milan, darling. <laughs> <laughs> and he says... Um, his website is some dude named Milan.com and he says The Incredibles. This movie is definitely my top favorite movies of all time. Best superhero movie ever. Totally wicked. Love it. <laughs> I think that was voice uh, was voiced by um Bradbird's son, right? Yep. Aha. And next is from Frank, and Frank is one of our, our awesome fans. I love him. He says, The Incredibles is one of my favorite Pixar movies. In fact, it's one of my all-time favorite movies in general. I've always enjoyed the superhero genre of movies, and this is my favorite with The Dark Knight. Hey, that's what Pablo said. The Incredibles carries a lot of nostalgia for me. I really get into super I really get into the superhero genre when the 2002 Spider-Man movie came out. The next year, I remember watching Finding Nemo in theaters, and I saw the teaser for The Incredibles. I was so excited to see Pixar making a superhero movie. I saw it opening weekend and it was my very first Pixar movie, I distinctly remember seeing it opening weekend. That is a tradition that I continue today. I love the movie the first time I saw it, and it gets better after repeated viewing. As I grew older and formed stronger taste in movies, there are many things I appreciate about it. Of all the Pixar movies, I feel this is the darkest and most serious. There was plenty of funny moments here and there, but there was a lot of pretty serious moments. The plane scene is the scene that stands out because it involves a mother flying a plane with her children on board, trying to avoid missiles. Also, the argument scene between Mr. and Mrs. Incredible was another standout scene because of the dialogue. Even though they are animated superpower humans, the dialogue feels very natural and real. The story is fantastic, as it perfectly balances being a fun superhero movie with a great family drama. The music score by Michael Giacchino is one of my favorite scores in any Pixar movie. The animation and action are also well done. The chase scene with Dash is a favorite action scene in the movie. The thing I love most about the movie is the characters. I feel the character... I feel this is the most character-driven of all the Pixar movies. When it comes to my favorite character in the movie, it's really hard to choose. Mr. Incredible is a great protagonist who you instantly like within the first scene. Mrs. Incredible is another great character, with Holly Hunter's performance being one of my favorite voice acting performances in any animated movie. I really like the kids, which is rare for me in an animated movie. Kid characters in animated movies are usually the weaker part, but I like Violet and Dash. Oddly enough, even though I'm male, I'm related to, I relate to Violet the most. When I was a teen, I was very shy and insecure about myself as well. Syndrome is my my favorite Pixar villain as I love his character motivation and design. Lastly, I love Edna Mode and her cape speech remains one of the funniest scenes I have seen in a movie. So, very very awesome. Yeah, and I agree with I agree uh, with him that Holly Hunter's performance is amazing. Oh, yes. So thanks, guys, for sending your emails. If you want to send us your thoughts on a film that we've done in the past or a future movie, send it to the rotoscopers at gmail.com. <laughs> All right, 
right, folks. Well, we've covered a lot of ground, shared a few laughs. Um, the Incredibles is a great film. Uh, when this podcast is released, check out the show notes. Uh, you know, we have a website and it's pretty awesome. TheRotoscopers.com. Um, it's got your news, reviews, opinion pieces. It's got all sorts of information that you're going to want if you're an animation fan. Really, our site is super strong. We've got a one heck of a team of writers. And uh, yeah, so check us out. And as far as our, you know, how to access our Twitter, you know, Tumblr and all that social media stuff, uh, just go to therotoscopers.com. It's it's right there. You can connect uh, to all those media outlets that way. Uh, as far as our individual locations, you got our host Morgan is on Twitter at Morgan Straddling. Uh, Chelsea's on Twitter at Chelsea Robson. I am on Twitter at Mason SMTX because uh, Mason Smith is always already taken because he's like a dude in Nashville that has like a band. <laughs> But yeah, uh, Mason SMTX. My blog is a little more active than it used to be. Thisanimatedlife.blogspot.com. Right now I'm using it to dump all my assignments for Visual Arts Studio this semester. So check it out if you want to see some like dinky graphic design projects that I've been working on. Um, and don't forget our special guest. Oh, yes. Uh. <laughs> Pablito. And if you want to tweet with Pablo, I still don't know how Twitter works. Uh, you can find him at Pablo RV7. That's Pablo RV7. And uh, connect with him there. Once again, we're super excited to have done this episode. We love our fans. Uh, we love all our guests that we have on the show. Yeah, thanks, Pablo. This has been super fun. Like, I, I really loved having you here because you're such a big Pixar fan and Brad Bird fan and animation fan. It's it's been really awesome. Yeah, thank you guys so much. This is this is a dream come true. Like, I've been listening to podcasts for such a long time. I'm, I've always wanted to be part of one. So this is actually a dream come true. And to do it with a film that I love so much. And I feel so passionate about. Thank well, you so much. You're welcome. This is a you're a natural. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> So we, we're trying to be better about letting you guys know what our next episode is going to be on. So for our 50th episode, The Big Five O, we are going to go way back in time to cover one of the greatest classic animated films, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So get ready, watch that movie in preparation for the podcast, and send us your emails and voicemails and all the good stuff. So until that time, we, we are, are the Rotoscopers! Cast. So awesome. So I love that they had to come back like after one week of retirement. Yeah. Mason, I don't know, you probably don't listen to them, but they this is an epic podcast is one of the biggest like Harry Potter podcasts. They've had their like official retirement episode and then a week later JK Rowling announced she's making a movie. So they had to come out of retirement. <laughs> so the, the, the strange, yeah, fan, fantastic beasts and where to find them. It's like, yeah. come on, we haven't had Harry Potter news for a whole year. So we shut it down and then suddenly there's biggest story the ever. biggest. Yeah, and I love that people were more excited about Mugglecast coming back than the actual news. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. We're going to need some superhero music during this to make it, <laughs> make it more fast-paced. Epic. Um, well, retract that quote before the fans are like, that wasn't in The Incredibles! <laughs> um, let's see. Ah, so we've established that... Uh, hold on, I've got a text from Morgan. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, you have to pause the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I thought... <laughs> G- gosh, sorry. Um... Chelsea there? Yeah, sorry, my thing stopped. Where am I? Your, your line <laughs> is, I'm Sam- free, the genie. <laughs> 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 Never gets old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>